Welcome to Confessional. I'm Kayla Shelton, along with Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your darkest. Confess to us. We won't tell. So you can tell us anything. No one's listening. Today's confession. Poverty in America. All right, everybody. Welcome to The Confessional. My name is Mike Moran, and I am joined today by our co-host for the week, Ooh. Jennifer Norris. Hi. How you doing? I'm all right. Pretty good. Yeah? You Thanks. had a good week? Yeah. No. No. no, why not? Almost, like very little sleep, and um, like I'm starting to feel like my brain start to fray. You know, the, like every time I wake up, I'm like ready to cry because I have to get out of bed. I'm like, no, I just want to go back to sleep. But you don't seem like the good. crying type. I'm not, but yeah. I have this the opposite problem. Yeah. What's that? This week she is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jen, thanks for coming by today, even though your uh, brain is fraying. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we discussing today? We're discussing poverty causes and I guess different possible policies for it. Sure. I mean, if we're going to get into how it starts. We're getting a little serious on the confessional this week. We rarely capture uh, topics so serious. I think you're just trying to be argumentative. You are. (laughs) That is so something a socialist would say. Our guest today, Jen. All right. This woman is very intelligent. She does a lot around Baltimore. Uh, She has an incredible story, and uh, she will tell us more about ourselves. Please welcome to the program, Natasha Gwines. Did I do that right? No. Gwines. Gwines. That's okay. Good job. Okay, sorry. No, it's okay. Thanks, Mike. I got kind of close to the mic there. Thanks, Mike. Natasha, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you run an organization called HER, correct? Yes, I run a nonprofit for young women between the ages of 18 and 25, overcoming various forms of hardship. And the only requirement is that they want and need our support, but we uh-huh. see a lot of homelessness, substance use, sexual exploitation, trauma of various levels and kinds. Right. And, um, I formed it out of my own life experiences as a young adult woman who, at 20, was homeless, mm. uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and involved in the commercial sex in commercial sex work. And mm. um, fortunately, 17 years ago, I got sober in a 12-step recovery program that changed my life. But mm. a lot of that's how I formed it, plus the trauma I experienced as a child and the poverty mm. I grew up in. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks. Um, let's get right in with a confession. This is from Alan Pinsnack. Mobile, Alabama. You two are from the South, Natasha, I understand. I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana. How yes. far is Louisiana from Alabama? A bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, longer than four hours. I don't do car trips longer than four hours. That's not that far. Four hours. No, longer than. Well, how much longer? I don't know. <laughs> like four and some change or like... Uh, <laughs> we'll have to map quest it. All right. Uh, this is from Alan Pinsnack. Capitalism works in the sense that it breeds... Uh, superior products, services, inventions through competition, but once people start to get ahead in the competition, they start looking to cheat and use shortcuts to maintain that lead. It winds up only being beneficial to the person in the lead and crippling to those behind them. In an analogy, it's like if the Patriots had already established themselves as the top championship team, but then they started deflating their balls (laughs) and spying on other team practices because they refused to give up that lead. If the NFL doesn't do anything about them cheating, there's no way that other teams are going to be able to compete with them in a fair way. However, if the NFL sets too many rules and restrictions about what teams can and can't do, then it will discourage people from trying to come up with out-of-the-box ways to win games, and people will cry about how the game is boring and overregulated. But the way the government actually works is if the people who control the rules of the NFL needed money to get elected, and the Patriots are the ones that gave them that money. I wish I knew more about football because I'm totally lost here. I get the football. 
I don't understand the last part of the question. I got the other part of it, but not the football part. I just zoned out when you started talking about Patriots. I just I got I got Alabama. That's about as far as. <laughs> what I was think. the last line in the question, or what uh, was the question? But the way the government actually works is, if the people who control the rules of the NFL needed money to get elected, and the Patriots are the ones that gave them that money. Are they saying that? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you saying that the wealthy people control the government? You tell yeah, me. Yeah. Is that what you're that yeah, he's saying that capital capitalism in theory in the beginning works until you get people who begin to profit off of it more than others, and then they look for ways to secure their place, and they do that by like creating favor. It. Yeah, buying favor. So I get the sense that he kind of uh, falls down the middle. I think he's pro capitalism, but only to a point. Well, I'd say that's why we have like, like regulation against monopolies and you have donation regulations and, and things like that. I was right. like that's what you have to tweak rather than to look at like the whole system as necessarily corrupt if mm. we're critiquing his um you know right, right. on the economy. I think we really we need to move I mean in terms of the question uh, regarding buying government buying with yes. rich pe rich people or wealthier people buying um the government system uh, we have to because they're able to do that uh -huh. whether or not they do it you know you, they can put more than the limits of country uh c campaign contributions and PACs mm -hmm. they can do that and then they can still spit you know attack whoever they want at a different level I th I think what's important is that we start uh, building a more holistic community or society across the country mm -hmm. not just at government levels but at the levels that's uh, with organizations and uh, philanthropic groups to be able to support each other because the government one doesn't have enough money mm -hmm. to support all the people in poverty or support all the people in need right. and that's why we really need to come together i read an article the other day about how it, uh, about a, a lot of some of the wealthier people in the country wanting to be taxed more. They wrote some letter hmm. to Donald Trump and saying tax us more. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And for me, I see it as a passive way of saying we want to be taxed more. They could take that money. Right. Why can't it just be like, I'm going to do, I'm going to give more to charity than you would think. But, uh, but there is that there are those opportunities because people who are wealthy, mm. do, they, they donate to both sides of a campaign. Sure. They donate to both parties, and they put a lot of money in PACs, which mm -hmm. allow them to uh, get around the campaign contribution limits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we answered that, though. I didn't know if she, I don't know if she, does he have a direct question? Well, no, he's not asking a question. He's, oh, he's answering a question that we posed. Oh, too. got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. My bad. Um, so he's saying that the cause of poverty is then because people who have established positions go in. Um, I guess force force politics in their favor and prevent others from rising. I think th I get the sense that's what he's saying. That like uh, capitalism is kind of good to um, an extent that it breeds superior products and services through competition. But you're, once you've got some um, money and influence, then you can start influencing things in your favor. Which yeah. I kind of they, they agree with. Grow, like, they can continue to grow their interests. Right, right. Because when, when you're the little guy and you come up with a great idea or a product or something. You have to fight harder for it. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm, and But once you're really in the game, you can start manipulating things. Which, you know, raises the question of should there be more of a separation between business and government so you can't manipulate those things. I mean, like, like Jen was saying, like, you know, there's rules about anti-monopoly um, things, but... But a lot Those of rules like can be exploited, too, by the wealthy yeah. people. And a lot of prohibitive factors exist, not even just wealthy people, but by established industries. Like, I'm sure when you were bringing up your nonprofit, and, like, mm -hmm. I've had the same issues. Like, yeah. you, when you're trying to enter into a field, there are a lot of barriers that are just... It's like they're just signposts. They don't like they actually don't have any meaning or any actual regulation behind them. It's just like something just you have the to bureaucracy. pass. Yeah, 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 yeah. That so somebody can have a sticker and pretend they have authority, and like they like these kind of um, you know it's not necessarily a like fin financial barrier, let's say, but it's a uh, it can be prohibitive in that way. Like it mm -hmm. does like stop the development of newer businesses or or smaller businesses. Like so, in that way, I can see it spread out throughout industry. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I think that there's a misattribution sometimes where people say that it's, it's wealthy people necessarily, or it's established right, right. people. Sure. But um, like, s yeah, certain people in certain, certain people in positions or certain established businesses do like follow those practices and others don't. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are like, that's, that's the point of legislation also. 
Right. But if we think about Papa John's pizza, how much does it cost to make a pizza? I've been thinking about Papa John's pizza all day. But <laughs> go, no, continue, but like, please. How much pizza? I mean, how much does it cost to make a pizza? Well, and how ma- and it's he so hard to say. Money. And like then, but he, he, they've made so much money off pizza right. and people who are making minimum wage and can't sure. afford to pay their bills sometimes mm-hmm. in certain mm-hmm. situations. And, and yet... Papa John, or the, he's not the head of the company anymore, but you know, is it working towards? He has the ability to pay his or their staff a living wage, and they 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 don't. Right, right. Well, that that opens up like another uh, you know can of worms of like. But it goes back to that capitalism. Mm, mm. He, yes, he had a product. He made a product. Right, he right. The product marketed. Everybody uh-huh. loves it, or people love it. And then, um, and now it's at a place where he doesn't have to pay people a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's but also if he like cared uh, about the community, you know, society right. and elevating individuals and making sure we all could have a, a living wage mm-hmm. and a, a way to mm-hmm. pay our bills, you would think as a, a, you know, as an individual who says he cares about the country would take action mm-hmm. on that. What do you think, Jen? Um, I think it. I think it depends on the extent that you extend like living wage to. Like I think. Um, I don't know what I would put the the not not living wage, but minimum wage to. Like it's definitely good having a minimum wage because it's been exploited or labor has been mm-hmm. exploited in the past and will be. Um, but I think um, like a lot of businesses when they're looking for like unskilled labor to work. Uh, like I remember when I was fourteen and started working at Dunkin' Donuts and they gave me like six bucks an hour. I was like. This is amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, I still feel like that. And you probably got free donuts, right? I was a vegan, so no. What? <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Poor thing. Um. <laughs> God, working at Dunkin'. Yeah. Man, also, that is, like, you that see is behind self the counter and then you 14? don't want to. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that's when I became freegan, though, after a little while. So I think by the time I finished working there, I was eating, like, donuts or, or not the coffee, the Dunkachinos, I think. Was like, yeah, because that yeah. shit, like, that milk is real good. Whatever they put in it, their creamer. Um, but, like, I think the, the difference when people, uh, sometimes when people argue this point, I'm not saying that you're arguing the point of, like, equal salaries across because you're not. But um, uh, a livable wage, definitely, I agree to. But um, I think... Like it can be over em- the the need for like almost a, an equal level of wage between the person who owns the company and, and then the workers. I hear that often stressed, and I don't agree with that because I, I think yeah. the yeah I don't think you're arguing to that extent. But I think that when we find the um, like how to fine tune it somewhere in the middle to where the person can you know afford their own health care and afford like you know living by themselves in a reasonable location and you know taking care Dunk of daily needs for every kids. now and again. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, most of most of these jobs like that, I don't think they're they're aspiring to give people like lifetime employment mm. either. I think right, they're trying right. to like satisfy. Yeah, that and sometimes it's younger people. Exactly, and, and yeah. like a transient youth market. make it even harder for people like that to get a job if they have to if if they're being paid more you know like other people in better positions might take those jobs if they're I did I mean I don't see a company like Papa John's paying their you know mm. their staff right you're, you're saying just a, a few year. dollars more yeah, an hour. Just, right, yeah right. it's just yeah. enough yeah. that just enough that uh, that there could be mm-hmm. that you could live on that you could get you could take the bus mm-hmm. and have lunch in the same day. Sure, sure. I'd say for 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 big businesses like that, it probably wouldn't be a prohibitive cost. But then for like small businesses yeah, that are coming up, then it might be more challenging for them to be able to meet the same kind of uh, salary levels as. For sure, yeah. I mean it's yeah. so hard. I was, hard to I was more talking business. about how much money he has and has made off of this and, mm. and made off of lower income mm-hmm. individuals working in, mm-hmm. in his establishments. I agree with you. You know, um, with my nonprofit, our salaries are just at the baseline mm-hmm. of what yeah. is acceptable. And yeah. it's not because I don't want to pay my team more. It's I can't afford to pay my team more. Yeah. Yeah. We go through the uh, Affordable Care Act or the, f- the exchange to offer my team um, health insurance because it were too small for me to have a broker for their health sure. insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. I mean, that is one of the common things aside with, uh, from Jen's argument as well, which makes sense that if you raise the minimum wage and it makes it harder and kind of what you were piggybacking, like if if you make it, like let's say, uh, like 15 is a number I hear thrown around a lot. 
it may make it harder for somebody to get an entry-level position unless the business can justify, like for instance, if the minimum wage was $8 an hour versus $15 an hour, then it might convince a store to maybe steer away from automation. You know what I'm saying? Like for a cashier or something like that. Like, you know, if, if you raise the minimum wage and the store might go, well, now it's more cost beneficial for us to just put all self-checkout and stuff like that. Yeah. So you're making it, uh, and then the other aspect is like for every Papa John's, there's four or five GT pizzas. I was just yeah. an example of, of a, you know, someone I know who's made a lot of money off of a, yeah. an item that doesn't cost a lot to Well, make either way, it. I'm craving Papa John's now, so thank <laughs> you I was for trying that. to get it last night, too. Did it you? It was closed. It was closed. Oh, man, the yeah. garlic sauce, it's so, so hard to resist. I'm not making it a hard campaign. It goes right to my face. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing. I wasn't making a hard campaign for Papa John's. It was just an example of an individual. Yeah, or there's people that make a ton of money How much exactly it? is Papa John's paying you? <laughs> argue against them. Yeah, wouldn't it be like Pizza Hut? Like that's what I meant. <laughs> better ingredients, better wages, dude. That's all I'm saying. Um, but that's another thing too is automation. What what role do you see that kind of taking? I mean, will there come a time when certain jobs just don't exist anymore? And yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, like, yeah, like yeah, I don't certainly. get the argument against that. I don't get why like you would you would hold back technological progress in order to like like you have to. The rest mm. of the world is absolutely yeah, it's, going it's to. inevitable. Yeah. Like, but you also have to find ways to adapt and find ways right. to educate people to be able to to fill new jobs. But what if what if it happens yeah. that there's just robots and computers like doing so many jobs that there's there's a lot of people that just there's yeah, no was, reason to. I was having a conversation with someone about trucking, yeah, and how they're trying to move towards uh, driverless trucks. But mm. the thing is, Transformers. is that they they can only drive it so far mm-hmm. from point A to point B, right, and then a right. human has to get in the car yeah. and drive it from point B to point C, yeah. and then it can be picked up again. So we can't yeah. really do without. Right. Uh, yeah, but at the, some point, I feel like, you know, the well, way they were, technology we're is moving. Tr- we're in a lot of trouble, then, because none of us When it's the Terminator truck. time. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I, I <laughs> Tell me if this is ridiculous, but I kind of feel like the automation so far has made me just not have to work as hard. <laughs> you know, like I feel like 15 years ago or so, I had to work much harder than I do now. Can you give an example? I think just in general in life, like now that humans don't have to do as much and like our phones cover so much, uh, mm. I feel like life is just easier. Like I feel like I I don't have to work as much or as hard, you know? Like, but don't just, you think that's I feel like that's the solution is we just all half-ass our jobs. If you were doing a podcast uh, 30 years ago, We'd have to submit this to a radio station, probably something. Yeah, like that, we know. wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, the internet. Do yeah. it. It just means you're able to do it at a more. In, yeah, yeah, which in, is great. Right. And easy. It's not even easier. You're still doing the same job. Right. You're just doing it better. Mm-hmm. Like when I was 22, I felt like I had, in order to just get the bare minimum of of you know a dignified life, I had to like work my ass off constantly. And now I'm just kind of like, yeah, just just show up and I'll be good. You know. Think about like to write a report for school. Oh my God, card catalog, dude! Have you guys seen? Have you guys <laughs> seen that? Uh, there's like a website, or there's some kind of like AI where basically you type in a thing and it'll finish your sentence based off of like it'll just scour the internet for like let's say you type in like this situation like right. poverty and you start a sentence poverty and it'll autofill the rest of it basically by pulling things from like every Google search result and I it'll know, and it'll make it seem like a human writ- written right, article right right and it'll. If you, if you search it for plagiarism, will it then show up like somewhere? Like, is it how much is it taking from each place, or is it? Mixing well, I think that's the thing they're working on right now. Is it right now? What it basically does is you type it in, and then it basically pools, and then I guess it's I guess it's technically plagiarizing, but from like tons of different but they, sources. They mix it up ah. so you know, much. They mix Which it up so the, much. I, that it's I like, never understand why plagiarizers don't do that more. Like, well, well, dude, you can you can steal jokes in comedy, and no one's ever gonna know. You exactly. just have to like mix people have them up. There's like there's like four four chord progressions that are like every <laughs> right, song is exactly. like you can, you can do different shit that's with why stuff. I don't get when people like sue over like a riff or something mm-hmm. or a joke it's like you really think you're the first person in history yeah dude C G A minor F you own that one bro <laughs> right, that's yeah. all you dog yeah. you and Paco Bell <laughs> two dudes <laughs> no but it's crazy because what you're talking about is like the automation thing is real and right now it's like dude I would I would venture to say that probably within the next I would say maybe by 2030 or 2035 Self-driving cars on the road would be at, oh, at yeah. least a norm, and 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 before the eventuality, yeah, probably even probably before like that. Five, six and years. the eventuality is going to become the argument's going to be then that like human drivers might be too dangerous. They're like, dude, we got the, we got the. We got I feel the like there's already no argument there. I mean, robot dog yeah. drivers are thousands of times. Safer, it's like, dude, like, by 2050, it's like everybody's going to. So the truck driving and everything like that, mm. like as technology progresses, right? I, I do think. think you had think, to be distra- what's that? 
Go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, no, I was done. I do think uh, we do live in, like, a brave new world, you know, where, like, everything's going to kind of be turned on its head in the next couple of decades yeah. because of computers and stuff. But think I think this goes... Oh yeah, yeah. This goes to uh, back to poverty <laughs> about like shifting the the skill set that we're trying to teach right, children right, and sure. youth in school because sure. if we if we're automating everything, we have to start looking at what kind of employment can mm-hmm. can our uh, economy sustain and, and develop. And right, so right. right now, like I'm thinking, like in, um, recently I've been thinking about business ideas in Baltimore City mm-hmm. and I was uh, one of the things we uh, that I thought about was a, a driving school down in um, in South Baltimore cool. a truck driving school because there's uh, there there are a lot of plant uh, plants and um, and, and uh, what's the Warehouses, mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a need, and there's yeah, a lot that comes Amazon in and out. Yeah, there's a lot that comes in and out there. But the the thought behind, but the the hold up on that was, um, in order to be able to be a driver, which can make you know a good salary, yeah, seventy five thousand, yeah. eighty thousand dollars a year. For sure. Um, yeah, that's good. You had to pass a drug test. Um, and if you can't pass a drug test, you can't get... Is marijuana still on it now with yes. all the... Really? Even though it's like not... it's not federally uh-huh. decriminalized uh-huh. or legalized. Right. And yeah. so so it, it is on there. And if you can't pass a drug test, you can't have this uh, right, type of right. employment. So even for the trucks that are automated that go from point A to point B and then pick mm. up and go point... You know, you have to have a human in the middle. And then we think about... Um, we just need something as we're moving towards this. Because even right. like with what was just said by, what did you say, 2035... I, I know you're just throwing it out there. I get it, but like He's no we're gonna Ray have Kurtzweil. to have, gonna have to even have adapted that man. skill set, you know, right, to yeah, be able sure. to meet the next demand. Definitely, but weed might be legal by then. <laughs> so then there goes the trucking that problem. Could solve but then we don't need the trucking. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, but you, I mean, we keep changing our industry so often. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like the. I mean, that's something that people talk about. That's like problematic. Is the the learning curve is like increasing. You know, so to be able to stay relevant, yeah. uh, not even just like in terms of what jobs you're you're able to fit, but within within jobs, because mm-hmm. like people are learning more so rapidly, policies and ways that you have to work are you know changing relatively rapidly. So, like you can't you know um, kind of float within many industries from from like when you enter. You need to continually be like developing, and more than in the past, I think. Yeah. Interesting. <coughs> so you think like less less people have the option of changing careers like once they No, people are changing no. careers far more often now. Or really? more yeah. often or at least jobs. Yeah, not changing careers, but um like in order to stay functional within whatever you career specialize, you have. Like yeah, or just, just develop and adapt. Like the job doesn't stay the same as right, you right. On. Yeah. 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 But then you have the you have the issue with um the fact that unskilled labor like we were talking about the, like what you said, with automation making everything so much easier, when you're talking about like the self-driving cars or something like that, you need a human middleman. Mm-hmm. But let's say how many, you know, if you have a system that's operating like a hundred trucks going, how many? You don't need a hundred people at right, the desk. Right. You yeah. might, you know, just the same way that you can do a million things from your phone. Yeah. You might have one guy overseeing right. fifty trucks, and if he needs to step in, oh, oh, here we go. That's but that's that's one guy now doing the job of what used to take fifty people. Mm-hmm. You know, so the and it, like I went into McDonald's the other day, the one down in uh down right on York Road, and now you you walk in and you just enter your stuff in on really? a kiosk. Yeah, you enter your stuff in the. You, I, I walked. I wasn't used to. It. I walked in and I like walked up to the counter and the people at the, ca- the there was one dude at the counter. And he wow. was just like he was just like I didn't know they were yeah to go over that there. Level. And wow. so it's like there used to be like four people at the counter, but yeah. now there's one guy right. and now I just go there and he just mm-hmm. here you go and it's like well that you guys have cut the labor down by like you know the the. The the pencil I don't want to say pencil pusher job but the 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 stuff that can easily be done mm-hmm. the need for those jobs is going away. But right. that's why we need excuse me uh, focus more on our education system and and how we can help the the youth start to develop the skills they right. need to be able to compete in whatever market they're yeah. going to be in when they graduate at eighteen right. and then go to go to some sort of. Uh, Fall, you know, secondary education is that secondary college? Secondary, I think so. I, yeah. yeah, and so, or, or not, or trade, or whatever. Trade is, it, big thing. Trade is big, and I think we need to uh, we have an opportunity to. Ma- there's enough need for trade, and right. not enough labor for Definitely. trade. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna break those machines. Like it's gonna be a while. <laughs> yeah. Before, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a while before you don't need a mechanic before you you know like or, or like somebody to paint your house or something like mm-hmm. that. Like that's stuff that like, but that that is a skilled. That's the skilled and labor, that, and, yeah. and that's something I think. But going again back to Baltimore, is that um, with where the education system is in the city, we have an opportunity to have more um, 
uh, job training trade programs mm. to be able to get more people back to work yep. and working in the city and, and being able to beautify their own city and being able to walk past some place and say, hey, I help revitalize my right, own city. Right. I yeah. had an impact in that. And then they get to have a salary of their own. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who's an electrician who makes $100,000 a year. Yeah. Like, that's a... That's yeah, a you w- can move up. Yeah, and so um, that's, a, that's a good salary. And I think we, when we're looking at competing, we also need to think about what's lacking and, mm. and, and, you know, give our youth an opportunity to go in multiple directions. But at least going back to the, the foundation of... Uh, looking at the education system because mm. that's the only way we're going to compete. Right. Do you think uh, in Baltimore specifically the education system is not uh, sufficient in preparing kids for those things? Absolutely. I read something the other oh God, I cannot remember. I can probably find it here in a second. The data, the statistic, but like a significant portion of youth who graduate high school and go to community college are reading at remedial levels mm. and doing and math at remedial levels. And so we're not and helping the youth in our city um, advance the way that they could. Mm. Yeah. And whether, and, 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 you know, there's a, I found a, a number on it that was like uh, 52.1% of ninth to 12th graders are chronically absent in school. And then what we is have chronically absent? 20 days or more. Oh, okay. In the city or? In the city. Yeah, but they're, then they're also pushed through grades because yes. I think it was No Child Left Behind that mm-hmm. kind of mandated that like you can't like almost well rather than more spe- rather than providing more support, we're just pushing them through. Yeah, because there's not like funding for more support, so like you can't you can't almost like schools are disincentivized from um, like penalizing children for like bad behavior or not showing up or not turning in homework. Like hmm. you know, um, like you can't like it's really difficult to hold children after school. Or to um, you know take away recess, yeah, like you, you don't have those rules anymore. Like, yeah, and like parents don't really, uh, a lot of parents don't really support the education mm. anymore. So, like, you don't have an incentive system set up for for students to, you know, be actually achieving what they need to in grades, and then that backlogs because you have children in the next grade that haven't learned the previous grade. So then, what do you like? They're going to act up, of course. I think it's more of a holistic approach to being able to handle such. Um, Situations because you're right. There's a backlog, and then there, and then there's the uh, the behavior issues, and so we have to think about what's happening at home that they're not being able to focus on uh, the you know what's going on in school. Um, are they taking care of their their siblings? Are they able to eat? Or is there some sort of violence? And um, are they taking care of their parents who are maybe an addict of some sort? And so yeah. then we start thinking about those things. That but I think if we took a more holistic approach of um, supporting the parent as well as the, the student, we may be able to start to advance the education of the, of the child. And um, that requires money. I recognize that more yeah. money than we, than we have going towards the school system right now. But it, we can't do these things in a silo. We can't, you know, we can't grow the economy. We can't mm. do education. We can't help small businesses. We can't do any of these things in a silo. They all have to work together. Mm-hmm. What, I, going. what I hear about, like, um, like I know a lot of teachers, a good part of my family are teachers, a good part of my friends are teachers, is that, like, um, uh, like, de- like parents, parents need support, but I feel like they also need, like, liability or responsibility for for their children because a lot of parents feel like when the children when the child's brought to school it's off their hands it's on to the teachers and then because of policy changes in more recent years in schools teachers are like unable to actually affect the changes they need to do to manage the classroom or to right. teach you know they have they have more that they need to teach to a yeah. greater body of students with a greater disparity in their um, you know ability not only ability it but seems then almost also impossible like it's yeah, it's a crazy. It's becoming. I couldn't imagine being a teacher right read, now. Yeah, you read accounts of teachers like it's it's different from a decade ago. It's very fucking different and it's unmanageable. And mm. a lot of the things are done like with like good intentions in mind. Like they have the idea that you separate out. Originally, you had like you separate out children with different mental abilities into different classrooms, and it's okay. No, put them into class because you don't want to stigmatize it. But then you also got to think about how that affects the rest of the class and the teacher. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a good or a bad policy, but what it does within a classroom, something like that, is it. Um, it widens the level on, uh, like on a, and a lot of the classrooms dealing with this, if they don't have the resources to attend to that child within an already crowded classroom, um, you, you then, I mean, it widens the level that the teacher has to address in an already kind of 
you know, stretched. Um, yeah, overstretched mm-hmm. situation where they don't have the resources and they don't have the faculty to oversee it. And it just, you know, it to me it seems like it's becoming more and more untenable because of specific policy decisions that were made. But that's in the where past. we are right now. I mean, yeah. should we be looking? I mean, we're talking about like what's going. If we're talking about what's going to happen in twenty thirty five, we may want to consider how we can address the situation now because it's only getting worse. And I agree with you where it is in the status quo, yeah. but how do we make it better? And I think that's where uh, we have to start putting more money in our education system. And I also think we have to start providing more support to the community around the schools as well as the parents. Because I think about um, a teenage mother, someone who, is, who has a kid at 17, and mm. then they're, they're uh, just statistically speaking are more likely their kids are going to have kids at a younger ages. Right. And, and, um, and, and, and then, like, if, if so 17, you have a kid, and at 15, their kid has a kid. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they're losing those years, like of of, uh, gosh, I'm of growing up themselves, sure, learning the sure. things they need yeah, between yeah. seventeen and fifteen, right, and, then, right. and then we're expecting them to be able to take their kids to school and know how to uh, to do all the things that you know that their kids are going through. You, mm. Maybe they don't know how to do algebra, or maybe because they right, didn't, right. you know, or they yeah. get, they don't know how to do you know certain kinds of science study science and and we just need to be able to provide more support so that they can help their student or Mm. their child better to succeed Mm. if they're interested what about what about if they're not though like i there's some you know i think uh, it's not that they're not in uh, i would like to think you know if they were given the resources that they had to go to one job and get home and you know maybe have two incomes in the house or one that's enough to support the family and and you know not have to fight for everything they you know they have in life and not have to put a 2 year old on a bus and then transfer to another bus but be able to just to be there for their child um, there's a greater chance that they would want to or have the capability to be engaged and oh, so yeah. huh no, I was saying yeah I was agreeing with you yeah so i think a lot of it is about just not having the means of my mom. She had me at seventeen, and uh, she made four twenty-five an hour. My sister and I were kids. My mm. dad didn't pay child support, and she talks about like you know she she didn't qualify for any social service benefits at the time. And this is in the eighties. Mm. I don't know how she didn't, but um, she didn't. And so she talks about you know, how hard it was to uh, get my sister and I ready for school, and how hard right. it was to be able to spend time with us at night and nurture us and tell yeah. you know read us bedtime stories because she was at that time having to work a couple of jobs mm. and go to college yeah. and even when she graduated college like she was having to work 80 hours a week to be mm-hmm. able to um take care of us and yeah. help us to gr- you know have the things we wanted and needed yeah all right well let's move on to another confession this is from jeremy arroyo fort wayne indiana <laughs> that is the most masculine name for a town ever fort wayne fort wayne baby yeah some people just don't want to work It's just something I see every day. I'm a case manager slash housing specialist for Section 8. It's an okay idea of a program. There's many people it seriously helps, mostly disabled, but there are people that abuse it because they literally don't want to work if there's a subsidy. We have people quit their jobs uh, when they start working because they'll get a rent portion and they want to stay on the program. I don't think we have enough programs that allow for a bridge. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's not enough programs that allow for when you when you need it to be able to stop and then take the the leap into full time employment mm. somewhere else. And because they're between those two, the stopping and the starting, there's a gap that they're not sure where the money's going to come mm. from. Mm. Um, you know, at her, we I, I have seen young women that we serve now want to get jobs, but it's not that they don't want to get jobs; they need housing. They need mm. a place to go, and they will do whatever they can. Get right. I mean, what it, yeah, it seems like house. at times it's de-incentivized to get a job, you know, like it's uh, you're going to lose benefits, you know. Yeah. We're not supporting them through the sustainability of their lives. We're supporting them into either a program. Right, right. Or going, you know, a different now direction. This is my question I have. It seems like a lot of, a lot of that uh, kind of good intended type of stuff kind of traps people in certain ways like it's it's incentivized to not allow them to rise up and is that on purpose are people is like do people kind of want 
the poor population to kind of be like segregated and, and kept in different neighborhoods. That's one of the like ongoing conspiracies about Democrats. That's what I think about. Like, to what degree is that? I don't think we're taking it. There's not enough. Um, there's not enough support. There's not enough structure. There's right. Not enough, but why? But I don't think it. I, I tell the women at her to use the benefits that they can get, mm. and when they don't need them anymore, leave them behind. Right, right. And I use my own. Of I had I was on multiple subsidies in my twenties mm. uh, to be able to uh, to pay my rent, so I didn't have to sell my body for money. Mm. Um, that I could go to college, you know, because of uh, because of my the trauma experience as a child, I was able to get my tuition for co- college paid for by a vote by right. a uh, government program. And that government pro, because I've since reached out to them and said, "Hey, because you were able to do this, mm. I went to work for Harry Reid. I went to work for multiple United States senators. I went on to found a nonprofit. I have these these goals, and I really appreciate the opportunity that you gave me." Now, does this happen all the time? No. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is when it's implemented well, it mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about providing enough incentive to the team, to mm. the staff, to the administration to make sure it's implemented the correct way. Right. Incentives to go to college or to trade schools, I think those are really effective. But I think some of the, the incentives where like they, they decrease if you do start to become um, I think functional it, there or needs to be a tapering and not just us. Yeah, it's you're weird. done. It feels like it's you. Can, it's harder to just kind of go step by step up because it's like, I don't know, like for me, if I go t- to a certain level, then I lose my health insurance. and then And then that's like, hundreds of dollars more every month, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's not just like you can slowly work yourself up, you know what I mean? Well, back to what Jeremy was saying when he talks about Section 8, I'm not completely versed in the in the, in the the way it works, but from my understanding, Section 8, you pay uh, like a portion of whatever your, your, I think you pay, basically if you have like a monthly rent, you pay whatever you make in like a week towards the rent, is that the case? So like you have like, there's like Section 8 housing and then the person who lives in the house pays for like one-fourth of their monthly income and mm. the government takes care of the rest. Mm-hmm. So you could be gradually working your way up. Let's say you're working a job at Dunkin' Donuts mm. and they say, okay, dude, you're making $240 a week. You're living at this apartment. You're living in this house that's, let's say, $1,000 a month. And so you're only going to pay 240 towards that. We're going to take care of the other 750 or whatever, 760 mm-hmm. But then literally to get back to even square one, to taper off of that benefit, when you lose Section 8, you'd literally have to be making four times as much as you were making at Dunkin' Donuts right, just to be in I the mean. same spot. So yeah. it, it is kind of like it's like mm-hmm. it, it's not set up in a way that if, if I was on Section 8 and I was like, okay, well, right now I'm paying $250 a month for rent, but I'm only making a thousand dollars a month. Mm. But now, if I get off of Section Eight, now I got to pay a thousand dollars a month for my rent. Right, right. And yeah. it's like, well, I got to literally, I got to literally be making a thousand dollars a week to be back in the same spot I was. Yeah. But I, I think what uh, what you were saying about is it set up to, uh, is it set up that way on purpose? I think that a lot of times, I think a lot of people on the the underside of the system go into it with compassion. But I do believe when they talk about like certain political parties. Fostering a dependent class, mm. I think that's definitely. I think that's definitely yeah, a real thing. I definitely yeah. see that. And do you think it's because, like, you're basically kind of since legal segregation stopped? Well, like, you're basically kinda... the the objective of a political party is to maintain power. That I mean, that, like the government itself exists, and then within the government, you have Republicans and Democrats and Green Party and all these other people vying for positions within that government. Mm. So the Democratic Party and the Republican Party they want power. I almost think that if you're a party, if you're a political party that is supposedly the party of the disenfranchised, then it's almost mandatory in your setup to maintain a disenfranchised class. Because once you have... Right, yeah, like once you cure the disease. Yeah, it's like, well, once you don't have people that are disenfranchised, then there is no need for the party of the disenfranchised. I think it just evolves. You know, um, I I say... uh, in social service, in the social service field that I'm in, um, I I truly I truly would hope one day that my nonprofit would be put out of business. Sure. I don't think all nonprofits feel that way. Mm-hmm. Because, but there's when you solve one issue though, there's yeah. going to be something else. Yeah, I think I think most people have good intentions. They, I don't think there's like some vast cons- you know like there's I don't some think there's that really do thrive off rooms. of it. But I do think that for mm-hmm. the most part, we want to believe that people in uh, public servant positions want to want to uh, mm. make whatever the issue is better. Mm-hmm. The thing is, there are, there are not good people out there everywhere right. that are hurting people who get put in these disenfranchised sure. positions depending on the issue. And there's just it's just never going to go away. And I think mm-hmm. th- we will always have a reason to be helping the yeah. underdog. You just want the... But you just think it could be 
you know, the numbers could get better. Like, it'll never be a 0% kind of problem. It would never be. I'd love to believe it. You know, uh, right. my mom was visiting this week, and we, um, there, there's a lot of issue. There's a lot of news about sex trafficking right now, mm-hmm. especially with the Epstein thing. And so mm-hmm. um, she was like, man, this is crazy. And I'm like, I know. But it, my concern is for something like that is in the 80s or maybe in the 90s, it was domestic violence. Mm-hmm. We were all we were worried about domestic violence. And we were pushing forward so many domestic violence, uh, anti-domestic violence policies. And now the key issue is sex trafficking. And my fear is that we're going to th- we're going to leave. In a few years, we're going to leave that one behind right, and right. move on to it something happens. else, and yeah. we're not going to have addressed yeah. those issues to this full yeah. capacity. Yeah. But there's always going to be a need. Mm-hmm. When they were focusing on, on domestic violence, though, did they in, like did they improve the percentages significantly? Yes, and, and and they've improved policies, and you know, but it's not the it's not the key issue of the day. We're not. We're not mm-hmm. as focused on it. Mm-hmm. We're not, you mm-hmm. know, I yeah, can't tell you. That works. Thing, though, right? like it, uh, it doesn't mean that it's not still occurring. Um, it just means that it's not our main like the issue du jour. But like, that's a good thing though, because that just means that some other issue that's more pressing has taken precedence to it. Again, I Perhaps, think, a, yeah. I think a lot of these things can't be separated mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of youth, and I'm gonna speak for women, girls in this situation who are trafficked, um, come from foster care homes, yeah. come from, you know, come from the foster care system, runaways, uh, because of not having the fam- the familial support or not having, you know, feeling inclusive because of the situation they're in. And so we, but we have to think why was there violence in the home that led them to being in the foster mm-hmm. care system? So all these issues work together there's not you can't just say this issue happens and then this mm-hmm. issue happens and i think when we start addressing the issues as a human level need mm-hmm. and not as one issue yeah. we may get further it is weird it is weird to me and kind of morbid though how like issues get popular for a while you know not, it, it's one thing if it's based there's a champion on for it that makes it sensational so yeah the sensationalism of it all through media is what freaks me out a little bit, because um, if it makes a if it makes a salacious story, you know, then people are going to pay attention more. But at the same time, maybe it is popular because it is so is such a big problem that so many people can relate to, you know. But I worry that a lot of that stuff just kind of becomes almost um, not not fictional because it's real, but it's like, definitely real. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And all you know, everything you see on the news is, but it's kind of like they, they kind of blur the. Um, uh, how frequently it happens, you know, type of thing, yeah. because it's good for ratings. Because they just focus on like the personal stories of it. Yeah, just like the emotional yeah. kind of. Uh, and and yeah, if something the big figures, right? Like, and some yeah. of that shit is really fucking morbid because it's like you know with the school shootings, it's like they they happen repeatedly because they get huge ratings, you know, and people see that. And it, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, that's that's pretty much it. You know, the copy. They they know that within a couple of weeks there's going to be a copycat. And, uh, you know, they do it anyway because the ratings are so big. I think we have to be very aware of uh, how much uh, having the news on certain issues allows us to have more awareness as a, as sure. a society. I know with uh, – let's go back to the sex trafficking. We, so, for so long, people believed that it wasn't in their backyard. They didn't believe mm-hmm. it happened uh, to domestic – you know, people domestically here in the United States. And they believed that it was foreigners coming in or taking – people out Mm -hmm. and it's happening here all the time and now it's much more people are aware of the situation i think again it goes um back to uh, us it goes back to the government being holistic Mm -hmm. our communities being holistic and uh and and helping people out with human level needs and not just uh, as a number is right right yeah yeah it's weird too with like social issues because i always think like how do we decide which ones to tackle and when? You know, because it's there's literally billions of people in the world, and there's millions of people in America, and it's like, when do you decide which one is important? Well, you I know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it seems like it's an organic process. So there are a lot of different things at play, and a lot of different things that get weight due to, you know, uh, it can be like media situations or you know whatever in a particular neighborhood has you know comes mm-hmm. up. But I, I don't think you can say that people are necessarily top down deciding that, but that a lot of different right. you know lower level factors are at play. Mm-hmm. To to your point earlier about the, I think you're talking about the the necessity of having more community organizations and kind of putting the onus of. Um, filling in the gaps um, for people who aren't having, you know, their life 
needs met when they're trying to, to better themselves and, and improve themselves. I think that's definitely um, something great to focus on and something that the government can try and incentivize, is like starting more programs like yours or helping, you know, uh, helping um, fund new ones that, you know, can satisfy, especially places like Baltimore. But I think also, like, policy-wise, there must be, like, a focus. That it's not simply the, the onus can't simply be put on, on the private sector. Yeah, it's got to be something within the legislation. You know, I think about, did you want to say something? No, I'm uh, pointing at the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I mean, yes. Uh, the problem is, is that the government can't do everything. Right. There's not enough policy or enough, there's not enough, there are not enough individuals to be able to implement the policy, and there's not enough money for the government to be able to do everything. Mm. Um, and I do think businesses have a responsibility, especially in places like Baltimore, to uh, help make the community better. And, and and there's some that do. I just think that uh, we can't, the government, there's just no way can handle every issue. And the, like you were talking earlier, the bureaucracy mm-hmm. and, and checking the boxes of who each organization is serving. And, and so I think that's why we all have to come together. I, you know, I do think, Shit, I have a nonprofit. If I got more money for my nonprofit, I would love it, you know. So I'm not going to say we shouldn't be doing sure. things like that. It's just that we need. It, I think it really is a community level effort, uh, a society level mm-hmm. effort, and um, you know, most uh, most new businesses, like small startup businesses, are women, and most of those, a lot of them are like home businesses because they're trying to fill a need while not being able to afford childcare. Or while they have kids at home, they're starting these home businesses. And I think if we could incentivize something like that or focus more on the women and minority-owned business aspect of policies, that would really help us a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I I believe that a lot of the poverty-level issues start um, with, I'm going to phrase this in a way, with the way we treat women in society. You know, Mm -hmm. are we providing them enough money, I mean, enough uh, opportunities to support their families? Are we providing a safe environment so that the, the, their children aren't being exposed to violence? Because uh, violence creates violence. And it, if we know anything about the uh, adverse childhood experiences, the ACE study, it says that if you have, I think it's four or more of these various issues, like it could be as simple as are your parents divorced? Do you have a parent in jail? Do you have do, do you have a parent that uses drugs? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, are you exposed to drugs? Or is there a grocery store in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. That all affects the likelihood of the of that individual growing up, ending up in prison. Really? Dying by it's twenty years. Grocery more. store is a weird one. Too. Yeah, I know. But it's true. I mean, that's true. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Poverty is, right. and I think they were trying. I don't know if they have since last time I looked it up, but they were trying to add poverty to the ACE study, mm. how, uh, living in um, impoverished areas and how that impacts the development of children. Mm. And so, it, it, the four or more, like like I was saying, like you could end up uh, in prison, use it, addicted to drugs and alcohol, um, not finishing high school, mm. dying by twenty years, having hypertension, right. you know, things like that. And right. so, I think uh, isn't having having a child before like twenty one also. On the list, being born to a family, uh, young, mm. I think so. Yeah. I don't know the exact. Also, single growing up in a single parent household is yeah. one of the biggest determinants mm. of all those things too. Mm-hmm. But I think I think what you're what NASCAR's got to be on. Oh there yeah, somewhere. definitely, dude. I mean that goes hand in hand. Right. But like when you say holistic approach, I I think I I know what you mean because when I think about like like I went to Towson High School, which is a public high school, and it's I mean the it's it's a mile and a half up from the city line, so. And Towson High School is one of the one of the best schools in the Baltimore County Public Schools is a good it's a good district, but then it's surrounding it's surrounding one of the worst school districts in the country, which is Baltimore City. And you have to ask, what it, you know, what makes Towson High School such a good school? Is it because Towson High School has uh, is it is it entirely because Towson High School just has more funding and resources, or is it because of the community that's around? Like, does the community make the school, or does this, does the school make the community? And I think it's I think it's like it's like a it's like a it's a it's a handshake between the two of them, yeah. you know. And one of the problems with one of the problems with uh, the the bureaucracy, like you were saying, I guess what Jen was saying is like the the problem with government run industries is that there is no accountability for for what goes on because if any if any if any business was functioning at such a low success rate hmm. as the Baltimore City public school system, mm-hmm. they would have been out of business by now. Right. 
But because they're government funded, they continue to get more and more money and no, no accountability, no oversight. Like if you look at like for if any business was functioning as poorly as the as the entire political class in Baltimore City would have gone out of business right now, because they essentially in this case the Democratic Party has a political monopoly over the city, they could pretty much do whatever they want and continue to be in power. Well, so yeah. they they do have accountability and oversight, but it's it's just mismanaged. Like, uh, I mean, like they tried to create oversight by saying that teachers would either be given um, bonuses or penalized according to how the students in their class do. So what's the problem with that? They're going to make everybody good or pass them in a certain way like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. You'll either have teachers who cheat or you're penalizing teachers who have more difficult students. Yeah. And, like that's a really consistent thing. So they come up with policies like this and like every year it's like new crazy policies mm. that, you know, everybody has to adapt to and that whole like learning curve thing. And... um. I mean, it's tricky, yeah. But then the the other alternative is: do you privatize schools, and then I, how do I you think fund that them? I think that the uh, I, I I the the whole charter school idea seemed like a good idea to me, and I feel like it's been shot down by uh, the teachers union or whoever. I feel like I feel like it's been kind of cast in a bad light because you have these schools that are actually going to be vying off of their actual like what they can actually output in terms of the the kids that they put out, and it might go to expose how poor the, the system that we have in place is. Hmm. What do you think of charter schools, Natasha? Hmm. So that's a, it's difficult. You know, uh, we all want to see our, our uh, youth and our children be able to achieve. And mm. I think it's more about fixing what's already in place and, and making it better than creating some, a new system. Um, mm. I, I also think, again, that we need more funding for our public school system to, for it to be able to compete. And mm -hmm. I really do believe in the holistic approach at schools. It's just where we are, you know. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, when I was a kid, maybe not. When it, right, right. Now, especially in cities like Baltimore, we need more support. The mm -hmm. kids need support. The families need support. The communities need support. And that takes money and it takes effort. And I know it sometimes it... I would, uh, you know, next time if I, we have this conversation again, I'll bring it with dollars and figures to back it up because right. without it, it just sounds kind of like pie in the sky. But it, it's needed because mm. we are not addressing the human level needs of students in our city. We're not addressing the human level needs of of uh, the parents and and the, even the business owners. We're not addressing, you know, yeah, I it live. It's tough I, to start a business in I Baltimore in, City. Yes, but I live in Pig Town, and in Pig Town, like some of the business owners won't keep their doors, you know, the doors open late because mm -hmm. uh, there's not enough lighting on the street. So right, we're not right. helping their need, yeah, and by yeah. not helping their businesses, we're not being able to put back into our schools mm -hmm. anymore. Um, I think I read a statistic that. Forty percent of Baltimore City properties are owned by nonprofits. Wow, that's a tax base we're not getting for our education wow. system. Mm -hmm. So before we go and throw out, you know, the system as it is right now, why don't we figure out how we can advance it and, mm -hmm. and make it better? Do you so think that it's uh, bringing in bigger businesses like Target and Walmart and stuff like that? Do they eventually open the door for smaller local businesses to happen, or no? They're not really in the city, though. Yeah. I know, that's what that's I'm saying. saying. Like, if they were. Right. I think, in, in my opinion, we need to have a balance of small businesses mm -hmm. and corporations. There's, uh, corporations will just, uh, if we have corporations, especially corporations that are getting tax benefits, like mm. uh, enterprise zone tax credits and things like that, which generally is like 10 years, uh, though I think Under Armour has a 40-year enterprise zone tax credit agreement, Um we need to ensure that they're employing individuals in our city or whatever city they're in. Mm -hmm. Because right now, I, w I mean, I can imagine that, especially the executive level, people aren't staying in Baltimore, aren't living in the city. And so then, so the, the money's not staying in our city. And right. so, and sure. so I think it, and the job, the, the, the unemployment rate in Baltimore city, isn't necessarily getting help mm -hmm. from that business. And so I think, uh, while we move towards having more corporations that could help our economy in the city, we also need to look at how, what benefit we're going to get mm -hmm. when they're getting their, their, their agreement and also how they're going to help build smaller businesses. I do think small businesses will go a long way. We right. have, there's enough. Uh, there's enough space. To, sure, absolutely. You know, <laughs> there's there's enough. You know, there's enough space. The the rent is you know at a price yeah, that, that yeah. they could or even buying they right, could come yeah. in and buy something. Mm -hmm. But we need to be given opportunities to them to be able mm -hmm. to thrive. Yeah. A friend of mine owns a a culinary 
business in Pigtown too on Washington Boulevard, and she talks about how she had to buy this. Um, What's that the the fan thing over the the stove or the, the ventilators? So yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but she says she didn't need it for the kind of cooking they did. They just mm-hmm. didn't need it, mm-hmm. and it was forty thousand dollars. And someone came in, and some an inspector was like, right, "Buy it." Yeah, that stuff is brutal. You have to buy it, and they were kind yeah. of implying that if you don't buy it, they they would take a cut of getting them not to buy it. Mm. She's like, she just bought it, but that forty thousand dollars set back that small yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's wild. All right, let's so read another one. I'm sorry, Jen. Go ahead. I just want to ask. Um, so the the main argument is between like you're saying people. The solution is to give more support, and I think the main argument that people have on this issue is whether to provide more support or to ask for more accountability. That it seems needs both. Yeah. So I would. Ask I don't think you can you have one without the other. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you that um, we can't keep, I think that's one of the things with some of the social programs that we talked about. When there's not an accountability, but I think the accountability has to work with the changes that are occurring. Right. You know, yeah. like if we want people on uh, Section 8 to have account- accountability and make changes, we have to give them the opportunity to show the changes that they're making and have accountability, but also not penalize them for making the changes. Right. Yeah. And the incentive structures like have to match, so that's like leading in the right path. Why do you think that hasn't happened? Even though this this conversation has been so prevalent, like Baltimore's right. been like national focus for for a while now as like a failed case kind of. I, I think it's just the the who we're asking to provide the oversight. Is it the city? Look at the administration. Look look at the level of corruption and crime that's been happening, and the turning of the eye to. Um, to to providing oversight and or even just at the top of the at the top of the city the the mayor's office and 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 what she, the former mayor was getting in return for turning her eye to certain things mm. and and the incentive she was getting for her own her own good and well-being and so i just think we need to be looking at who's providing the oversight you know who i think should be in charge of that stuff who batman fuck <laughs> all right this is from troy <laughs> from wisconsin <laughs> Uh, this is a long one. Strap yourselves in. The main thing about hypercapitalism is that it's, it is becoming like a form of theology. Socialism is not just a malign form of economic practice, according to the neoconservatives, of which Reagan was the high priest. The ideology of the U.S. is based upon an intolerance of socialism in any form. It's a game of definition where certain things are not considered socialism, from subsidies, tax credits, various economic development schemes, development grants, etc., Basically, anything that helps an individual is considered a handout while corporate advantages are considered necessary. The paradox of neoliberalism is that it considers the free market as a divine force. But the free market is rigged uh, interest rate, rigged AF. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Must be a younger individual. Interest rates, government contracts, trade tariffs, and exemptions, taxes, speculation, manipulation of commodity uh, prices. If we really had the free market, then the housing crisis of 2008 would have resulted in a market correction that would have lowered property values, but debt cancellation and corporate payouts kept the market propped up. <clears throat> the problem is that all human problems are addressed through capital and not through rights of the citizens. So all functions of government under the current fucked situation of free market theology are keyed toward providing a space for capital to deal with human problems. So capitalism does nothing that will make it lose money always promoting the fable of efficiency as reasons not to do something. Single-payer health care is as efficient as competitive insurance collusion. Uh, the problem is they are not competing for consumers, but competing for profit for shareholders and capital, meaning they provide the worst service for the highest profits possible. The fallacy of all the people that bring up Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations is that Smith had a theory of moral sentiments that capital would not reduce their countrymen to poverty in pursuit of profit. But they will because corporations are not human. They... They are group projects committed to specifically inhuman goals. They are bottomless demigod creations of a sort. The biggest thing is that a situation has been created to monetize every aspect of human life from bottled water to healing the sick. Hopelessness is so bad that housing people devalue adjacent property values so there's no money in it. People, uh, however, there is money in housing criminals with tax dollars. So the war on poverty became the war on drugs and the war on crime in the 80s when neoconservatives were legally funding the Contras against the Sandinistas. Sandinistas? 
Sandinistas. Yeah. Sandinistas. Sandinistas. Okay. Dude. <laughs> I mean, there's so fucking much there. Okay, I'm trying, not, I'm trying to cut, not to cuss. I don't even fucking know. No, you can cuss. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's a lot there. But I think the main thing that stuck out to me was that, okay, you're arguing that the U.S. government was made on the basis of specifically anti-socialism, which is bullshit. It was made on the basis of capitalism, um, which is opposed to socialism, but not not for the purpose of being opposed to it, but because it, within its own like right, is... Well, there wasn't even know, a word for whatever. socialism back then, was there? I mean, they're just kind of like anti-monarchy. Uh, the, the U.S. government was founded for, for free market and, and liberty, which I guess is capitalism, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't... Well, then again, it, it's hard to say, though. I mean, like, at the time, there was also slavery, which is about as anti-capitalistic as you can get. Sure. But generally but speaking... Yeah, or it wasn't as, written as into the Constitution, get, Huh. Go on. Sorry. I said it wasn't written into the Constitution, though. When we're talking about the right, economic right. system, that wasn't initially, like, a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so the critiques that he gave were all the socialist aspects of capitalism. Like, he's saying that when corporations are given bailouts and then, you know... Or certain activities right, that right. aren't yeah, profitable that is are subsidized. Yeah. It's the parts of capitalism that are not free market. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. now it's not saying that free market within itself doesn't need restrictions because, like we said, there are monopoly rules that people need. You need labor rules. You need like minimum wage or like you know whatever protections for workers and for like pollutants protections for the communities that the industries wash are your damn working hands in. after you pee rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We need fucking uniforms because people just. Absolutely. Don't take care of themselves. Um, but like, uh, I mean, to me, it, it sounded like a little bit of a dogmatic um, kind of rant. So sounded like know. a commie rant to me, yeah. dude. That's what it sounded like. Our old marks. What do you think, Natasha? They go to the gulags or what? It was too long. <laughs> it was good. He, it had he a lot admitted of, it had a, lot, it had a lot of good information or, or you know uh, components to it. But I think one of the things that we do is we get lost in, the, we want to get our message across so much and we're oh. not short with it enough and we lose. <laughs> well, he told me I could impact. edit it down and that he was kind of drunkenly like, ranting. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I was. Uh, like, yeah, he closed out with the Sandinista thing and I was like, done. Where, where did you. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, it was I thought it was well written, though, honestly. Like, I was skimming through and I was like, this is all interesting. I don't want to delete any of it. But that's what it is. It like it paints a picture because your your objective wasn't to actually point out something that you're you're disputing or something that you would like to fix or even a way that you see to fix it. It was to paint a picture of a kind of like dismal development of you know, the country, so we can all be like, what hell have we created? Or, like, blame <laughs> someone, you know? One of the things that stuck out uh, before I kind of got lost in it was he said <laughs> he said that, what? you know, Much like the, the idea of cap the, the idea of anti-socialism is playing, like, a definitions game where anything, like, you know, because that's, that's the one thing where people always be like, oh, you don't like socialism? You like, uh, you like roads, don't you? You like, t you know, taxes is socialist, edu public education is socialist, and it's like, yeah, I suppose, but I guess the idea there was to then say that, like, you know, uh, the American economy isn't a purely capitalist economy. Yeah, it's, clearly. it's a mix. The, 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 the argument, uh, there are very few people, you know, unless you're talking to a very strict and staunch libertarian who are going to be like, taxation is theft and all everything should be private. S there should be no public education, private police forces, private roads. You know, there are people, the, the really staunch libertarians think like that, but yeah. that's, that's a very small percentage of the country. The, 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 the struggle is, is between, it's kind of like a tug of war between more free market or more right, socialist right, policies. Right. Like how much, how much socialism can we incorporate before yeah. it becomes too much? And it's it almost seems like that's the result of kind of like the, the, the communism versus capitalism uh, conflict of the 20th century was like, you kind of take the best parts of both, you mm -hmm. know? And when we take these, like, generalizing perspectives and then try and argue it out in that way, I think we ignore, like, the real point, which is to look at the incentive structure again. Because if you look at each specific program, you can see how it's going to affect in the long run, or you can kind of project how it will affect. So if you look at, um, you know, the banks, like, handing out loans that were unlikely to be paid, mm -hmm. you know, you could predict, and people did back then, that it would lead to, you know, economic devastation in, in some areas or like a recession if it was like too widespread 
Um, so rather than like looking at like kind of grouping different things into the capitalist policy or the or socialist policy, whatever it is, and then saying like good, you know, if you're on that side and bad if it's on whatever side it poses you, I think it's important to look at each specific policy and say, okay, like you need a combination of both, and it's not really just like it's, it's going to be forty-five percent of this and fifty-five percent of that. It's going to be which specific policies are going to have whatever effects in the given area. Yeah, like not practicality. Even them. People get too lost in the ideology of yeah. political ideas when it should be about practicality. I think it's also they they kind of under, like socialism in certain like what we were talking about earlier with the Section Eight thing. They kind of undermine each other. So like like the same way we were talking about like Under Armour comes into the city. But how many people in the city are they employing? But then the other question is, how many people in the city are seeking out those jobs? Because if Under Armour comes in and says, we're paying you know, $12 an hour for X, Y, and Z, but if you're a person who's on Section 8 and, and has a bunch of benefits, and you're going, well, okay, that's great that you're offering that job, but even if I take that job, I'm going to be worse off than right. if I say my It'll benefits. It'll be less profitable yeah, for so you, it's like, So it's like, yeah, the, the capitalist system is trying to work, but it's almost undermined. It's the same way that we talk about like why there is a need for minimum wage, because if you Hold on one second. There's why there isn't even for the minimum wage. <laughs> Sorry. That's because the reason there's a you take, for minimum wage. You take a sure. job. You take a job like uh, like Walmart, for instance. It's like one of the things that people mm -hmm. always bring up is like this humongous corporation. They have it. They have they. They're notorious for paying their workers a small amount mm -hmm. of wage. Well, the issue is is that you know what percent what what percentage of their employed are also accepting benefits as well. Whereas if those benefits, I'm not arguing against benefits, but if those benefits didn't exist. You wouldn't necessarily be able to find somebody to work for that low of a wage. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, the, fact, the fact that there's an option right, to work right. for that low is why the market competition hasn't driven the cost of labor up. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's no natural incentive for businesses. You know, if somebody came up to me and was like, "Yo, I'll give you 50 bucks to do this all day," I'd say, "No, I'm not doing that because <laughs> it's not worth my time." Yeah. But if there's no, but we took that out of the market by basically fostering a baseline level of government-provided existence that now people the the, the the corporations don't have that net. Basically, we took the leverage away from the worker, mm -hmm. is I guess what I'm trying to say. Not saying it's a bad or good thing, but I'm, right. I, my point was that they undermine each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, another good point with Walmart, I thought, th I thought they had one like really valid criticism with Walmart, and that was like their hiring practices, where it was like, if they needed 10 full-time workers, they would hire 20 part-time workers so they wouldn't have to pay, pay the... Yeah, 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 the yeah, old... So uh, that was shady. The old... Uh, what was the book about the Tom Jodes going over to the California for the jobs? Can where <laughs> are you? Cannery <laughs> Row, is that it? <laughs> Tom Jode? <laughs> the, I don't what know what that book called. Is it Cannery Row? No idea. What you're no, no I think. Clue, I think. Yeah. They hop on the jalopy and they go west, and then it turns out they just How? were. Because they they put out the at. Never mind. All right, <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say before we wrap it on up here? Yeah, we really enjoyed having you here. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This was a great conversation, and we will see everybody next time on the confessional. Bye bye. Poverty solved.